Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I'm going to invite you, if you got your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, again, I want to just talk to you a little bit tonight about peace. I want to take something that we had talked about and just kind of dive into it a little bit more. Um, on Sunday, we, uh, we, we kind of brushed across this, but I, I want to just settle in for a little while. Uh, what I'll do is I'm going to read... Uh, verses 13 through 22, but we're, we're only going to really dig in to 13 through about uh, 16. But just for uh, context, to, to take it on to the end of the chapter, I'm going to read 13 through 22. And so if you would, if you follow along with me um, on your copy there. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you, have, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. When we talk about peace, I... I know that all of us have had, to some degree or another, all of us have heard people talk about peace. We've talked, talked, uh, or heard, heard like uh, uh, world leaders. We've heard or organization leaders and organizational leaders. You have to forgive me. I got to get my brain uh, in here. But um, organizational leaders. We've heard, uh, you know, even people in our own families talk about peace. That, you know, we, we want peace. And that's something that everybody, I believe, to some degree or another strives for, is some type of peace or harmony. When he speaks about peace here, uh, I mentioned this uh, Sunday, but he's not talking about a 
version of anything that we've ever known outside of what he gives us as peace. What he gives us as peace is, is a completely new model, if you would put it, put it that way, that it, it is something that we have never known outside of Christ. So all the peace that we've ever known outside of Christ is something that man has manufactured, some type of tranquility or chaos-free environment or something. But what he's talking about is a peace that he has uh, fashioned, and, and, it's, and it's a fresh and a new. It is something that only that, that he creates just for us in Christ. And we've all heard this, that God gives us a peace that will pass all understanding, Right? So often, I believe, though, we take those, um, that idea and we don't really understand just what he's talking about when he's talking about the peace that he gives that passes all understanding. Because just if you're a Christian, you live in a world that is chaotic at times. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it's more chaotic than it is um, stable. Am I, am I right? So just because you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that the world quits being chaotic or just uh, turned upside down. And, and, you know, when you think about the Christian life, this is, this is a lot of the issue, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm a Christian. Why is everything not going my way now? I'm a Christian. Why is it not just, you know, harps and, and uh, clouds and angels and everything's supposed to be working all things out, God, to the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose? Where is this at in my life? But that's not what God is talking about when he says that he's going to give us this peace. I want you to listen to this text um, once again at the start with verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. As a matter of fact, and, and when some translations would even read like this, that Jesus alone is our peace. That he himself, in other words, that Jesus Christ alone, he himself is our peace. And then he says, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. And, and you need to really take that as war. He has broken down the wall of separation, abolished in his flesh the war, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So what peace is he talking about, and, and, and how, what does this look like, and how, how is this going to function in my life? So in the laws and the ordinances and all, we, we find that that is where the war is. So if there is a war going on that Christ has abolished, it is a war that's going on, and that war is in between me and God. It's not so much that I have a war against God, but outside of Christ, God has waged war against us. So if you're not in Christ, you're not saved, then God has enmity against you. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back into Genesis, you'll find that that's what happened in the Garden of Eden, that God set enmity against man and woman. He set a war against them. And it's found in the ordinances, in the laws. And we all know that the law is a schoolmaster to draw us to Christ, as it tells us in Galatians. And it's that law that you and I cannot keep. And so God, because we are lawbreakers, God's righteousness is, is being poured out upon us in the form of uh, judgment or uh, his wrath. 
And, and as a matter of fact, you, you wonder sometimes if God's wrath is ever going to be poured out on some people because of what they do. But the Bible teaches us that we are heaping up for ourselves wrath upon wrath for the day of judgment. So it's, it's accruing interest. If God's wrath is not brought upon somebody, it is accruing interest. And so when we think about that, <clears throat> we think about this, 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 uh, this war that's going on, and, and that war is because of the law. You say, well, why don't we just do away with the law? Well, see, the law proves the righteousness of God. So in other words, God's holiness, God's righteousness, that's why we have the law, is to show us our sinfulness. And that gets us to the, to the place to where we realize what the real problem is. Why is there a war? Because we are sinful people, because we are lawbreakers, and God's wrath now is... is upon those who are outside of Christ. And this is something you need to kind of grab a hold of. I know I'm moving a little fast, but I just want to uh, get a couple things in so we can settle down for a moment. But So, so you got the picture of what he's talking about here. Let's, we're going to walk through it one more time. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were <clears throat> far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now he's talking about us, the Gentiles. He'll talk to those, talk about those who were close, He's talking about the Jews. And so he's brought two, two into one. And in the scripture, in those times, there was a divider, a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were close in to the tabernacle or the temple, and the Gentiles were separated. The Jews were supposed to be God's people, and they were supposed to be a witness of how God has a separated people called out for himself. The Gentiles um, could be anybody else other than the Jews. So being a Gentile just means that you are not a Jew. You are separated from the commonwealth of Israel. But even the Jews had to come by faith in Christ because they're lawbreakers too. And so he says, I'll take those that are near, and I'll take those who are afar, and I'm going to take both of them, and I'm going to make one new man. Basically, what he's saying is no matter where you come from, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're going to have to come through Jesus Christ and be made new in Jesus Christ through the blood of Christ. <clears throat> so he takes this, and let's, let's back up and do it one more time, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, talking about us, who were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. In other words, Jesus alone is our peace, who has made both one, Jew, Gentile, into one, <clears throat> and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh, talking about in the flesh of Christ, the war. That is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man. So he takes, and if we go to John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But you keep reading on past that and you find out that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to do away with the law, the Bible says. He came to fulfill the law. So <clears throat> I'm pulling back on some things that we've learned over the course of this year. We know that when Christ saved, died on the cross for us, he took uh, our sinfulness, if we took the notebook, y'all remember talking about the notebook, and if he took the notebook that we wrote in there, everything that we've ever done, all we can think about, 
that we've ever done that was against God, every sin, every, every wicked deed, he took that notebook and he placed it on Jesus Christ. He took the notebook that Jesus Christ had written in where everything that he's ever done wrong, he writes down there, which we know there's not a mark in that book, and he applies that to our lives. And he now has made peace for us because we were lawbreakers, and now we are not guilty of the law anymore because our wickedness was paid for by Christ. Give you the illustration again, but I want to take it to another level. If I pick me out somebody here in the audience right now, or maybe somebody online, I, if, and, and I put, we get in the car together, we start rolling about 85 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone, breaking the law. But we got about three kilos of cocaine in the trunk. We're trafficking children. We've uh, run over an old lady with a, with a walker, right? We got some cash in there because we just robbed a bank. You with me? And on and on and on, but we get caught. We get into the courtroom to stand trial. You and I, we know that we've done wrong, right? We know we're guilty. And here comes grandma. Grandma comes in, or maybe let's just take an innocent child. And they come in, and the judge says, you know what, instead of putting the punishment on you because with everything that I just mentioned, we're going we're gonna to suffer. Am I right? We're, prob we're probably going to incur some serious penalty that we're going to have to pay for. They're not going to give us bail, right? We're not bonding out of this one. And he lays our punishment on grandma or on a two-year-old child or whatever and lets us go free. But see... That's what happened with Jesus Christ. You and I, lawbreakers. And that's why it's so important that we don't see ourselves as good people. I mean, so many people want to say, well, this is a good person, and that's a good person. The only thing good about us is Christ. I mean, think about it. We quote the scriptures, but yet we don't want to live with the truth of it. Our righteousness is but as what? Come on, church. Filthy rags. I didn't say that. God said that. If our righteousness was good, if we were righteous, there would be no need for Christ to die for us. Our righteousness, as Paul says, is found in Jesus Christ. So now think about what's going on here. He says, I've brought you peace. And my peace is found in the doing away of the penalty for the commandments and the ordinances. In other words, we are now free from the law, okay? Now, <clears throat> here, here's something kind of cool that, that we, have to, we have to grab a hold of because I, I like this. It's, it's amazing how God kind of lines things up because I've, I've gotten to talk about this over the last 24 hours. I've, I've got to talk about this with people two different times about the same stuff because this is, this is our big issue in the Christian life, okay? Where is my peace in the Christian life? So sin... Would you agree causes conflict? Sin causes conflict. And isn't conflict what causes the issue to have no peace? If we didn't have any conflict, we wouldn't have any problems with peace, right? It would, there would be peace. 
But what happens? I want my way. Jack, he wants his way. Uh, you know, Megan wants her way. I mean, we all would prefer to have our way. Would you agree with that? I want to read you again a verse that I, a couple of verses I read Sunday morning out of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He says, where do wars, wars and fights come from among you? Great question, right? Where does unrest come from? Where does chaos, where does the, the not having peace come from? Well, listen to what he says. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So our, and our not having peace, where does it come from? It comes from me wanting to have my way, Jack wanting to have his way, Megan wanting to have her way, and everybody else wanting to have their way. Right? I mean, I'm just re I love this because I just read text to you. I'm just reading scripture to you. So he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, listen, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Why do I want my way? Because I want me to be benefited. And anybody in here that's married or has been married ought to be able to say, amen, right? Right? Let me take you into the car. We jump in the car after church. We got to grab a bite to eat. Everything's peaceful up to that point, right? Where are we going to eat at? And what do we do from that point? It is finding out who's going to give in, right? Am I wrong? I mean, we're trying to figure out who's going to give because I want Chinese. Christy, Christy only likes Chinese about once a month, right? This one wants Mexican. This one wants this. And sometimes we go through three drive-thrus just to have peace in the car, right? Now, I know some people say, I ain't going through no three drive-thrus. You're going to eat whatever I say to eat, and you're going to like it. You might have peace because you laid down that law, but the rest of them ain't happy. You with me? That's sin. That is conflict. We can take this in every area of marriage. We can take this into the areas of uh, of work, life, friendships, church, everything else. I mean, just think about it. The color of the carpet in the church. You with me? So how in the world do you have peace? How do you have peace when every one of us naturally want what we want? Well, so sin is selfishness. Selfishness is disruption. Everyone wants their own way, James 4, 1 through 3. And then you're going to take Jews and Gentiles, and you're going to make both of them one, two people, two groups of people who are as contrary, as opposite as you can possibly get. You've got God's ordained people, and you have got pagan worshipers that worship all kinds of deities. I mean, you can put the Romans in there. You can put the Greeks in there. You can put uh, people who live in... Egypt, you can put people who live in Uganda, you can put in people that live in India, China, Japan, Vietnam, Guatemala, South America, wherever you want to go, Canadians, all this, anybody that is not a Jew, Gentile, and you put Jews, and you, he's going to bring both of those together into one. In other words, he can take anybody on the face of this planet in Christ, 
And I think this is very important. He can take anybody on the face of this planet in Christ Jesus and bring any two people into a peaceful relationship in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why I say that if there are two people, let's say that you've got a marital issue, if those two people are Christians and they cannot come find some common ground to move on together for the glory of God, somebody's lying. Somebody's not a Christian. Why? Because you're not seeking your own. You're not, even, you're not really even seeking the other person's glory. You're seeking the glory of Jesus Christ. Christ has now broken down the, the wall of separation. He has now made two one, and how did he do that? He freed our miserable, wretched souls from the condemnation that was brought upon us by the law. And he set us free. And because he set us free, we in turn are slaves to him. We're bond servants to him. Our will's not our will anymore. He is transforming our will into his will. He says, come and follow me. He didn't say, go and get married and do whatever you want to do. He didn't say, go get you a friend and do whatever you want to do. Have a kid, do whatever you want to do. He said, you are to now lay down your life for others. You're to now take up your cross and follow after me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow after me. And that's the Christian life. The Christian life is not about me getting my way. The Christian life is about Christ being lived out in and through me. And what if Christ wants us to sacrifice ourselves, to not get our way all the time. And I'm sitting up here telling you this, I fight these battles in my own flesh every single day. And every day that I wrestle that, I don't have peace. But every day I surrender to Him, I have peace. See, the peace that passes all understanding is not some mystical a breeze or some mist is going to come by. You, you're, you're all in this whole problem. You know, you, you, your spouse won't listen to you. The kids is going crazy. Are you boss man? You just, your, your whole world's turned upside down. And you're just going to pray and say, God, I need that peace that passes all understanding. And like God's going to be some genie with pixie dust and go, and there it is. Oh, I feel so much better now. Or maybe he blows the pixie dust in the other person's face because that's what we would want him to do, right? Don't fix me, fix them. Can y'all see just how wicked we really are? I mean, in our flesh, if we just be honest. I'm going to blow some magic pixie dust on me or somebody else so that they'll, uh, everything will be okay. But that's not what God does. He may not change anything about that other person. He may not change anything about that situation other than the fact that he brings you into subjection to his will. Think about Paul. If we took Paul imprisoned in a Roman prison and brought him into today's society, then, <laughs> then the charismatic movement would tell him, Paul, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be locked up. You just need to believe. We'll just name it and claim it. We'll say, Paul, we agree with you that you need to come out of prison. But yet, Paul, what does Paul do? Paul says, my chains are all for the glory of God. My chains are for your behalf. And, it, and God is working out in me a far greater weight of glory because of where I'm at, God's working it out in me. That's Christianity. That's peace. That's Paul going, I'm okay. Y'all quit panicking. I'll never forget David McCachron. I was in my first pastor. I was sick of him. 
I was, I was so tired of it. I, I, you know, it, it's, it's 5.30. I called him up on the phone. I said, dude, I'm quitting. I said, I'm tired of this. People don't care nothing about Jesus. Everybody, you know, all this stuff. He told me, he said, what time's church start? I said, six o'clock. He said, good, you got time to read Philippians. He said, read Philippians, and you tell this junk you're telling me to Paul, and he hung up the phone. So I get to, chap by the time I get to chapter two in Philippians, I'm crying and getting my Bible together, and I'm getting ready to go preach. Why? Because Paul is in prison, and they said, Paul, there's, everybody's saying all kinds of stuff about you. Everybody's running you down, and all this stuff's going crazy. He said, what are they saying about Christ? He said, well, no, they're, they're, they're magnifying Christ. He said, then all's good. You, peace. That is so hard when everything in the world is geared toward the, telling us that the only way that we're going to be happy is if we have everything we want. Is that not every commercial that's on TV? Is telling us that you're only going to be happy if you have this candy bar. You're only going to be happy if you have this soda or this, uh, this beer or this liquor or this relationship. Or if you're a part of this team or you're a part of whatever. That's the only way you're going to be happy. You know, our team doesn't win. We don't have peace. We root for them again the next year. And this whole cycle is anti-Christian. It's anti-God. So the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that God is wanting to give us is simply the fact that you have been set free, that there is no more penalty. Um, there's just Christianity. And let, me, let me throw these out here. I'm going to get back to my notes for just a moment. I want, you to, I want you to listen. There's just Christianity. He takes the two, takes all the people in the world, and he says, I can bring the, I'm bringing them together to make them one. There's just Christianity. There, there, there's no Jewish Christianity. There's no Gentile Christianity. There's no slave Christianity. There's no free Christianity. No black Christianity. No white Christianity. Ain't no Baptist Christianity. There ain't no Presbyterian Christianity. There's just Christianity. There's just the Bible and God. One Lord, one Savior, one baptism. That's it. I mean, it's just, we look at it and we think that there's all this diversity, but the only diversity that there is is the diversity that we come up with. Have you ever, you ever paid attention to your family when they're together? I mean, honestly, you ever paid attention? Some, some folks hadn't had the privilege to see a lot of their family together in one place. I, I've, I, I'm a people watcher. But I also am somebody, because I am such a people watcher, and I love watching people, I really do. I watch videos just to watch people. I'll show people videos. They, they don't understand. They're like, what is he showing me this video for? I'm like, you see that person sitting in the third row right there? Watch them. And I, I watch how people respond. I watch what's going on in their, in their life. And so I think back in my memories, and I replay those things in my mind, and I, because I wasn't always a Christian, you know? And I look back at things, and I go, 
wow, I remember when this happened. And I remember this person saying this and doing that. And, and I look around and I look and I find that there are people that I, I know from my past that had this peace. That when somebody would come into the room, <clears throat> that the rest, a, a lot of the other family didn't think much of, there was just a couple of people that they would gravitate toward because they knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were going to get loved by those people. I'll never, no matter what I did, you say it's just because that was your grandmama. No, I've seen grandmamas that didn't act like my grandmama. Can I get a witness? <clears throat> I've seen some with a Virginia Slim hanging out their mouth <clears throat> and a fly swatter in their hand. <clears throat> Can I get a witness? Uh, I've seen some meanings. But man, I mean, and I could take you through a, a lot of my mama's mama. Never. Not ever, not one time was she not overjoyed to see us get there. Never. She'd meet you at the door, come running out. And I could pick all kind of people in my family and, my, and, and around <clears throat> Miss Mary Legrand. My, I could name them because they ain't in my family, but... I, Bill Grant and I were friends and still are to this day. Uh, we just don't see each other uh, none, but we keep a check on Facebook every once in a while. Man, I could go in Miss Mary and Mr., uh, Miss LeGrand's house and I could walk up in there and I could fix me a sandwich, go in the refrigerator. As long as I didn't mess with something that she was going to use to cook with, I was all right. <clears throat> But I never, I never, I never was not welcome there. I never was not loved there, and I mean, <clears throat> they, she had plenty of reasons not to love us. I can promise you. But there was just people, and I look back and I go, you know what? They didn't live unto themselves. Their their life was not lived so that they got everything they wanted. As a matter of fact, when I look at their lives, I go, they were really servants. They just, they just gave and they gave and they gave. But I can remember people, Lord have mercy, I did not want to be around. All they ever did was talk about people. That's all they ever did. You don't want to go visit them because you know all you're going to do is sit there and listen to them bring you up to date on the gossip. And it was always to build them up. Christ, what he did was he ended the feud. And I want to take you, let me take you to a couple places real quick. And I, I think this would be a, a good way to uh, bring some things around. In Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> verses 1 through 4, especially, I want you to, knowing what we know now, I want you to listen to these verses. 
He is, says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, you know what that means? That does not mean that there is no condemnation now for those up until they get saved or up until they mess up. Because Christ, when he died for us, he paid it all. He you, you got to stay with the thought of what you know about God, what you know true about Scripture, in order for the rest of Scripture to mean everything it's supposed to mean. On the timeline, I'm born 1972, May 17th, 1972, August 1999. That's the day that the reality of my salvation become true to me. That's the day we, we say, that's the day I got saved. The only problem I have with it, the Bible says that I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So in God's economy, God knew August 1999 was going to happen. God planned all that. But for me, it become a reality, August 1999. Now, move on down. 2003, 2005, 2010, 2018, all the way, all the way up to today. Well, what about all that? God... God did not send Jesus Christ to die for me to pay for my sins from May 17th, 1972 up to August 1999. Christ, when he did the work on Calvary, he said, it is what? It's finished. In other words, see, he's not like the high priest of the Old Testament days where they have to continually give sacrifices over and over and over again because people keep sinning. The Bible says that our high priest entered into the holiest of all once and for all. That he finished the work completely. So he paid for my sins past, present, and if I live to 85 years old or however long I live, every time I'll ever disappoint him, he already knew that I was going to do it and he paid for it on Calvary. That's how, in my life, there can be peace because there is therefore now no condemnation because of Christ and what he did for me. And if you're saved today, you need to understand that your salvation is not predicated off of what you can do. It is not predicated off of whether you repent after you commit a sin. That is just a work and why God so chose to allow me to still have a choice so that I could sin. All I can tell you is he knew everything, he planned everything, and it's a part of his plan so that there might be a testimony of the work of God in my life and in your life as we grow, draw closer and closer to him. 
and we'll get into it in days to, in weeks to come. But in Ephesians chapter 3, one of the reasons is so that the spiritual realm, the demonic influence that forces on this earth, the principalities and the powers of the air that work against what God wants to do, that we used to be up under the bondage of, so that they see that there is a God in heaven that created us and that sent his son to die for us and that he's Lord over all and that he can change us and he chose to change us and we are put on display before all the demonic demons of hell and, 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 and so that they might see that he's God. <laughs> there is no more condemnation. So when people come to church, and I want you to hear my heart when I say this, if somebody comes to church and says, every time I go to church, I just feel so condemned. I wonder what that says. Either one of two things. Either they don't understand their Bible or they're lost. It's often been said that if you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that hits will holler. So if every time you come into church, you feel convicted over what you're doing wrong and you feel condemned and you do nothing about it, then guess what? It might be that Romans chapter 8 is not true in your life. It doesn't mean that I'm not grieved over my sin. If I'm not grieved over my sin, then I don't belong to Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, that if you receive chastisement, Understand that you receive that as children of God because he loves you. But the ones that don't receive that, then they don't belong to him. So you can look at it in a lot of ways. Number one, if you are being convicted over your sin, whether you're lost or whether you're saved, isn't that a huge thing to think that the, it proves the Bible's true? Because if you don't believe in God, but yet you feel convicted because you're a lawbreaker, it's almost as if you're testifying that the Bible's true because there is a God in heaven convicting us. Who, who else is doing it? Some, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain? I mean, who, who's, who's doing it? Let me, let me take you to another uh, passage of Scripture in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. He's ended the war. So if you're saved today, I'll just leave you with this thought. If you're saved today, then guess what? You should be at peace with your salvation. And the peace of your salvation should pass or surpass any other peace that this world can bring. That's why the Bible says that 
Don't fear him who can only kill your mortal body. You need to fear him who can take your soul and cast it away from him into eternity. Because if all they can do is kill me, but yet I'm going to live. And that's true about me, that you or me, that we live for all of eternity. That's why if you read about the, the, the prophets of old, the, the martyrs through the years, why in the world? And I've, I've even heard it said like this before. If it was a hoax, don't you think the disciples, instead of being beheaded, would have said, <laughs> we give up to sham. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, it was a joke. Uh, Jesus is actually over here at Peter's house. We've just been hiding him for a little while. But we'll go get him out. Don't kill us. <laughs> you know, because their, their killing wasn't as friendly as some of our killing is. You know, we, we think, uh, you know, gently putting somebody away with a shot or something like that. No, they, don't quite, they didn't quite do that. Uh, we're going to have you drawn and quartered. We're going to crucify you like we did Christ, maybe. Beat you a little bit and hang you up to die on the cross. We're going to cut your head off. And, and if you remember John the Baptist, isn't that such a, an amazing testimony of peace? He's fixing to have his head cut off because he told the truth about this ill-conceived affair that was going on. And John sends word to Jesus. He said, how about go ask him, is he the one? Now, I believe John knows and believes, but he just wants to hear one more time. How about go find out and ask, find him and ask him. Is he the one or should we look for another? And the word gets to Jesus. Jesus sends word back. You go tell John that the blind see and the dead are raised. And the lame walk. And John gladly goes to the guillotine. Gladly goes with peace. Because he knows if he's the one, then everything he's trusted in is right. So my prayer for all of us is that we would, we would know that peace. If you've never known that peace and you can't find that peace, uh, then you need, to, you need to answer some questions about your salvation. You know, are you truly saved? I think there, there are people out there that are saved and just never really been accurately discipled. But I also believe that there are folks out there that have never heard the real gospel. They've heard a man's version of the gospel, you know, that you, you know, you just need to come ask Jesus in your heart, or you need to come down here if you want to go see mom and daddy, uh, or grandma, or papa, or whoever, or your little baby, or whatever, then you need to, if you want to see them again, you need to come down here. See, and none of that's right. None of that's in the Bible. The Bible says that God is at war against you and that God's going to win that war. He is going to bring judgment upon you and his judgment is going to be for all of eternity. It is going to last forever and ever. You're going to a place where the worm dieth not and where there is weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. There's a movement today uh, has been going on for quite some time now 
that they don't believe that there is a hell. They believe in Christianity and they believe in the Bible and all that, but they don't believe the hell part, that there's no judgment. If you take judgment out of the Bible, you're going to literally have to take over half this book out. But there, I, we believe, because we believe the Scriptures, that there is a place of eternal punishment, eternal torment. And we don't have to go there because of what Christ did. So I just encourage you, um, settle, settle this issue of peace within your life, knowing that Christ paid it all for you. And if you don't know Christ, you need to, between you and the Lord, you need to acknowledge where you're at with God. And you need to place your faith, your belief in what Christ did on the cross and follow him. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us, and so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.